Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you and take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. This time we will actually finish, we'll actually finish chapter 6. That is our plan. I don't know what it is, but talking to like 20 kids over there is a lot more difficult for me than talking to all of you. So thank you for the grace that you show me each day. Thank you, parents and grandparents, for faithfully bringing your little ones um, to learn about the Lord. Why don't we first and foremost bow our heads, make sure everyone's okay. Welcome to everyone who is here today, especially those that are joining us online. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to begin with a word of prayer before we go any further into Romans chapter 6 this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we do come before you and we are grateful. We're grateful, Lord, for another opportunity that you have ordained from the very beginning of time for us to gather and to hear from you. Thank you for your word, your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in and amongst this church. We do pray for help, for guidance, for wisdom. We give praise to you for your faithfulness. Lord, as a church, we just want to praise you for the provision of, of Holly Beaver coming on staff. We thank you for answered prayer. We ask blessing and anointing upon her and Corey. Thank you for their hearts. Thank you so much as well for Sue Omer's faithfulness for so many years. Father, we're, we're grateful for all of the pieces, the parts of the body of Christ that you have brought together. Father, I would pray that we would continue to learn through the preaching of your word, that we would exercise our gifts, we'd surrender to your authority and be obedient and strive to serve you with faithfulness and glorify you. Now with this text before us, God, I would ask that you would illuminate our hearts. I ask for help, that you would guide me, that you'd give me the right words and clarity of thought and mind and speech. May everything that is said and done be for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this in the amazing and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, as we continue to move through the book of Romans, we have to kind of make sure we have an understanding of where we have gone so far. If you remember, an entire case has been carefully and we could say masterfully built attesting to the righteousness of God and the sinful, painful plight of mankind apart from God. We've looked at this fact, and it's hard, but we all sin. Romans presents that case. We are all sinners. But thankfully, praise God, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We have learned that when we put our faith alone, in Christ alone, that we live different. It says actually in the word of God in chapter 1 verse 17 that the righteous shall live by faith. We hold that one is justified by faith. We looked at in chapter 3 verse 28. One is justified by faith apart from works. 
Now what? Now having been justified, that means we've been declared righteous. We've looked at the last couple of weeks, righteousness leads us to holiness. Everything that is needed. Okay, the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God have been given to us. Last week, we learned the importance of yielding. Remember the yield sign? We learned the importance of yielding to the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. Today, we get to what I call the, the means by which we can do that. Or the mode, the method, we could say we get to the muscle of how we yield so that in our righteousness, we move towards holiness. Remember the entire, we kind of began this in the book of Romans, a time for truth is now, is that we would learn to think accurately. We would understand what we believe. That's our theology. And, and, and therefore, what we teach Orthodox biblical Christianity about God, what we teach about Christ, what we teach about sin and salvation. And we've learned about this big word justification. We've heard about that. God declares a person to be righteous on the basis of their faith in the person work of Jesus. Now today, for the first time, we're going to move on from the subject of justification to, and we hear it for the first time, is the doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification is the activity of God which liberates the Christian from the power of sin. Think about this. If justification imputes the righteousness of God to man, sanctification imparts the righteousness of God through man. Look at sanctification. It means to be set apart. It means to be, to be made holy. It means to be purified. Look at this word. Listen for it. In Romans chapter 6, we pick it up in verse 15 down through the end of the chapter. The words will be in front of you in the English Standard Version. The word of the Lord. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our 
Lord. Now, there, there is there's much here. That's a, a lengthy text we just read. To begin with, in order to help us understand this, I want you to look at kind of one phrase, one verse that kind of serves as an overarching theme of what we just read from verse 16. You are slaves of the one whom you obey. You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Kind of an overarching verse that gives to us a glimpse of the entirety of the section we just read. And I want you to note that in verse 16, it ends with a question mark. See it in your Bible? Which is not only implying, but it's directly asking do you know, the question is there, do you know that either A, that you're a slave to sin, or B, you're a slave to righteousness? Which one are you? Notice that the word either is there, which means what? You can't be both. You cannot be both. It's, it's one or the other. You're either a slave to sin or you are a slave to righteousness. No middle ground on this one. Okay, and we see this directly from Scripture. The question mark is there. Do you not know? Point number one I want to give to you this morning. Being a slave to sin leads to great bondage. Number one. You once presented yourselves, presented your members... It's slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to what? Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. Last week we looked at the fact that sin always begets more sin. And before we dive too deep into this, I know at first thought it's going to be hard for people to understand because there's one word that we've already mentioned repeatedly, okay, and we, we have a hard time with this word. Matter of fact, the word is mentioned eight times in our text. It's the word slave or slaves. Automatically understandable, negative, horrible, horrible connotations here. In the, in the Greek, it's the word doulos. Some translations translate it directly as slave. Others use servant or even the word bondservant. A very brief explanation before we dive any further. The Roman institution of slavery that is referred to here is very different than the slavery we automatically associate with when we hear that word from America in what, the 17th through the 19th century. Okay, in this particular context, it's not necessarily referring to people that we know in our tragic history that were stolen, people that were kidnapped, trafficked, or sold. In this particular context, most were claimed through victory in war, or they were actually acquired because they had no food, they had no home, no shelter, no income. So, so bond servants, this text here, actually refers to people who were generally allowed to work for pay. And they could, they could purchase, after a period of time, their own freedom. They were given great responsibility. They handled large amounts of money. They actually were an intricate part of the family. 
even to the point that, that once they purchased their freedom, they oftentimes stayed with the family, and sometimes they even adopted their own last name. So, so when we hear this word, please do not ever think for a moment that the Bible in any way condones slavery, okay? The New Testament forbids the trafficking of a human. Paul later writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, that enslavers, the word specific is used, enslavers, those who what? Take, have no part, have no parts in genuine Christian faith. However, we know what? In some ancient societal, political, economic systems, hate it, disagree with it, it existed. Now, what Paul is doing here is he's actually creating a metaphor for us. He's created a metaphor that people in first century Rome would be very, very familiar with by comparing and contrasting, saying you are what? Either a slave to sin, verse 16, verse 17, and verse 20, which leads to death, or you're a slave to righteousness, which leads to eternal life. Or perhaps even more specifically, he's writing the exact same thing that the Holy Spirit is and should be speaking to you about this morning, and it is this. We are all servants, or we are all slaves to one thing or another. Let me repeat that. Every one of us, we are all slaves to one thing or another. And again, I know that that flies totally in the face of any one of us who have been taught and raised in the United States of America, land of the free. Home of the brave, Danny. Remember that? That's what we've been raised on. Now, in comparison to other countries, many countries, we are truly blessed by God's common grace to have many freedoms. But what many people, particularly in other countries, don't realize is that when we say, you're free to do whatever you want, and that's true, when we talk about what in our world and we teach, you just got to go ahead and live your dream, whatever it is. We all understand that the reality is what? When your dream is to become a professional baseball player, you better make sure that you can actually play baseball better than the other million little boys and girls who have the exact same dream so we understand that now why do i say that just to ruin everyone's dream right no but to remind us we're actually not free but we live under constant limitations and constraints you are free to go to any college any university you want you are free to go to harvard university if you would like but you do understand, in order to get in there, the average score for the SAT is 1550. Perfect is 1600. You're, you're free to get in. To Harvard. You can go, but, but what? at some level, there's, there's a limitation here. The average, the average score of the SAT is actually 10, is 1059. 
So, so like the average person is like 500 points off. You're free to study at Harvard University if you want to, if you pay the $51,904 for tuition per year, plus the $21,686 for room and board, plus insurance, plus books. You're free to study at Harvard University for $75,000 a year? Certainly. So, so what, what actually does this, you're free to eat wherever you want to eat as long as you pay for it. You're free to drive the Porsche 911 if you want. You're free to do that. You want to pay for it. They start at $99,000. You're free to work wherever you want to work as long as you fulfill the expectations that your boss has for you. So we understand what, which means that we all live under constant Certain restrictions, parameters, limitations. If it's not physical, it's mental, cognitive, socioeconomic, geographic limitations. Even living in a free country, as a citizen of this country, you cannot do whatever you want, which means that we are all bound by certain laws and rules. And statutes, you are a bondservant to those that are in authority, those that are over you in authority. Michael Catone is a just published Tennessee Law Review author. He writes this. He suggests that maybe the old presumption, you know how you have to know the law? Well, the old presumption of you knowing the law may be outdated and actually unfair. He says that no, no exact count of the number of federal statutes that impose criminal sanctions has really ever been given, but it estimates from the last 15 years that they range from 3,600 to approximately 4,500. Meanwhile, according to recent congressional testimony, the number of federal regulations enacted by administrative agencies under loose authority from Congress carrying a criminal penalty may number about 300,000. 300,000 federal laws over you and I. What does that mean? It means actually we live under the thumb, under the hand of the law doing what we must do. This is exactly the same picture that I'm trying to create that is given to a person who lives as a slave to sin. I understand that's a graphic term. It's what? It's, it's a strong, vivid term that speaks actually perfectly about the fact that one is subservient to what Scripture teaches a slave to sin means that we are a slave to what? Isaiah chapter 30 says sin is an impure thing. A slave to sin means what? That we are under the authority of that which is impure. This is defiling. I read this week that sin is a pollution of the soul. It is to the human soul what corrosion is to precious metal or smog is to a beautiful bright blue sky. People live, what, 
as servants to that. In Deuteronomy, sin is compared to the venom of serpents and the deadly poison of cobras. Sin is what? Is rebelling. Sin is ignoring, a defiling, and a tramping on the word that God has given to us himself. It is, what? It is lawlessness that leads to more lawlessness. Sin begets more sin. You got a problem with pride in your life. As a slave to that sin, it begets more pride. Unless what? Unless something happens. Lust equals more lust. Anger equals more anger. Jealousy equals more jealousy. And as, as, as ugly as this is, we saw last week, it's a powerful desire that actually seeks to reign over us, to rule us, and in turn, wreck and ruin us. So powerful is this. The Apostle Paul himself in the very next chapter, describes his struggles like this. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Doesn't that describe at some level what it means in that battle that we are in, that we can be slaves to sin in and of our own strength? Therefore, what? Thus the reason for us to admit the fact that we can't do it. Thus the reason for the Holy Spirit to be unleashed, to do the work of sanctification in our lives that we are simply unable to accomplish. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You realize what that means? God's will for your life is to be free from what? The subservient life that you live as a slave to sin. This is the will of God. This is what God wants. You're being set apart. You're being made holy. Number one, being slave to sin leads to great bondage. But thankfully, number two, being a servant to righteousness leads to greater blessing. Verse 17 says, but thanks be to God. I just love that. And this, this is graphic language, and we understand it's like depressing, and, and, and it's pushing us down. But thanks be to God that once you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, now what's happening here is, is on the adverse, this is the same picture. He uses the same metaphor for us. Analogy, illustration, that the author is drawing our attention to this morning as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, which means what? If you have placed your faith in the full finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and received him as your savior. If you desire, I desire to be obedient and I want to submit to him, live every day to him as Lord. You've been what? Justified. You've been declared righteous. 
before the one true holy God. Therefore, you are what? You are considered no longer a slave to sin. You are considered a slave to righteousness or a slave. The word is actually used in our text as a slave to God. I know we're thinking because there's a lot of negative kinds. That doesn't sound very fun. That doesn't sound very inviting. That doesn't sound very enticing. When we hear and we are taught and we are raised with what? I am a slave to no one. That's what we are taught. You are a slave to no one. We memorized as children. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. Really? You are the master of your fate and the captain of your soul. That is a total load of bunk. Because what? Because you don't have a clue what phone call you could get tomorrow morning that would change the entire course, the entire trajectory of your life. You have no idea. You're not the master of your soul. The best way, the better way, is to constantly, constantly ask the question, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that is within you? Whom you have from God, you are not, you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. Rather than for a moment buying a lie that says, I'm a slave to no one. That's a lie. You can't, you, you can't go to the store to buy a piece of bubble gum without paying tax for it. And if you drive to the store to get a piece of bubble gum, you got to put your seatbelt on. And if you're not old enough to drive a car, you want to ride your bike... To go to the store to get a piece of bubble gum, you got to put that dumb-looking little helmet on because that's what the rule says. That's what the law says. Rather, the, the truth, the truth, what we have to see and understand this morning is that actually there is great joy. There is tremendous, wonderful peace. It actually says that there is great fruit And we understand that we are slaves to righteousness. There is great blessing that is given when we understand that we are actually slaves to God. To realize with what? With great joy that the Lord himself is leading me and guiding me through a process of sanctification to holiness just like he is. Just like. Like our Heavenly Father. You see, we, we see, we hear the sheer magnitude of this, this process that is taking place, this process of sanctification. When I think of Peter's work, remember Peter? Oh, oh how we can easily slip into the sandals and identify with Peter. Brash, outspoken, grabbing sores solving problems for everyone else. He's got all the answers. 
Peter himself says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in, in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ. Just, just stop there for a moment. Did you hear what happens in the process and who's involved in the process of your sanctification, of you being set apart towards holiness? Do, do you realize that this is a description of what? All of God. Our triune God. Listen who is involved. That God the Father chose you before the foundation of the world and predetermined your adoption as his own son, as his own daughter through Jesus Christ. We know that God the Father is the administrator of all of salvation. He oversees the entire process from beginning to the very, very end. And everything that God the Father does for our salvation, he does it through what? The work of God the Son, Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus Christ that we have redemption from our sins. It is in Jesus Christ that, that we are adopted to our Heavenly Father. It is through Jesus Christ that reconciles us unto a holy God. It is through Jesus Christ that sanctifies us and glorifies us. Not only that, but we see the work of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who changes us from the inside out, performing gracious, gracious acts of regeneration. And with that comes what? The gift of faith, the spiritual ability to trust, as we taught the little ones, that Jesus didn't stay dead. We get ready to celebrate the fact that he rose from the dead. And that takes a lot of faith. That faith is instilled to us by the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, salvation becomes a reality. It's applicable in our own personal lives. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that seals us. We don't have to worry at night. You belong to Him. He, what? he, he establishes us as the very children of God. God the Father, God the Son... God, the Holy Spirit, all working at this moment towards your sanctification and towards mine. Now what? As a servant to righteousness, as a slave to righteousness, we know that there's going to be certain responsibilities. We know this. Why? Because we actually began with the same question that we read today, that we read as we introduced Romans chapter 6. So, so we read what in verse, in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. He's repeating what is written in, in Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Paul is basically saying what? Listen very carefully to these next few words. What is the author telling the believers in first century Rome? What is the Holy Spirit saying, Lord willing, to your heart today? He's saying this, listen very carefully. You cannot, you cannot live however you want and call yourself a Christian. You cannot live however you want and call yourself a Christian. Although many people would say otherwise. Let me give to you an example, sadly, of that. 
The Washington Post reported February the 12th, 2021. How earlier this week, an openly queer Christian artist briefly took over the top Christian album on iTunes with an album called Preacher's Kid by, by Semlar, who's the artist name of Grace Baldridge. But, but don't expect to hear it on Christian radio anytime soon because it actually carries parental advisory explicit lyrics and, and what? And it lacerates Things like youth group lock-ins and short-term mission trips, which are basic to evangelical Christianity, while professing what she refers to as, quote, a complicated faith. Semlar sings, I'm a child of God, just in case you've forgotten, cast me out of every single chance you got. And that's your loss, not mine. I'll be better than fine. Baldridge, age 30, sings those lines in the opening song, Bethlehem. She describes the album as a project about coming out a queer person of faith. One commentator actually likened it to the rise on iTunes being driven by something of a social media campaign among LGBTQ affirming Christians and ex-Christians to game-stopping the Christian music industry. If we get enough people to just flood the market to saying what? It's complicated, but we celebrate the fact that we're living in sin. Guess what? That's not being a slave to righteousness. That's actually being a slave to sin. And not only that, but it's misleading other people to believe the lie. That God calls us out to holiness, to be set apart, to be sanctified. You see how it's easy for a very subtle, a subtle shift that if enough people believe this, if enough people get on board and say it's just complicated. Now, has the church failed in ministering to those that are struggling with sexual identity? Certainly, certainly in many ways. Does that, does that now cause us to stop speaking truth in love? No. It means we ask for Forgiveness, and we repent and confess that we have to do a better job ministering to young people. So that tragedies like this young seminar does not happen. But we lead them. We speak truth to them in love. As, as slaves to God, as slaves to righteousness specifically, what, what, what is the great fruit that is given? What is the great blessing? Three things very quickly in closing. The first thing is that you have just been set free. Like, like, like one that was shackled or, or living in chains and in bondage. You have been set free from sin. The shackles of my sinful, sin-filled past have now been loosed. Having been set free from sin, we've become slaves, it says in verse 18, of righteousness. Not only is there great blessing in being set free from sin, but we've also been set apart through sanctification. And I am well aware, I am well aware that this can be a difficult, painful process. Sanctification is not quick, it's not easy. Zechariah, I think, actually describes at some level 
what the process of sanctification is like for many of us. Zechariah writes in chapter 13, verse 9, and I will put them into the fire and refine them as, as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them and I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. You, you see the, the process, the painful process that at many times we are being scorched in a fire where, where, where what? The grossness is being burnt away. The dross is what floating to the top is being scooped off and taken away so that, so that what? What does God, he says, I see gold in that fire. Don't give up in a slow, painful process of God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son sanctifying you. Don't give up. Surrender to him and understand that you can be a slave to righteousness. Not only are we set free, set apart, but thankfully we are set up. Not in a negative way, like, yeah, you got set up. No, no, in a wonderful way. Everything has been taken care of. We have been set up with eternal life. John chapter 14. Jesus begins what? with these most encouraging words. Don't, don't be troubled. Have not I told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. For all of eternity. The very last verse that we read this morning. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ are. Or do, do you see that from bondage to blessing? There, there is no greater news than that. And the question, obviously, from beginning to end, the question, obviously, is what are you a slave to? Are you a slave to disobedience, unrighteousness, sin, which ultimately leads to death? Who are you a slave to? Or are you a slave to obedience? Desiring righteousness, a slave to God. Let, let me make it very clear that today, regardless of where you are at, that delightful part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he comes and he slides right alongside of you. And he, he sees you, he knows your heart. And he desires for you to submit to him, recognize that we are sinners, that we're in need of a savior. And that God loved us so much he offered his own son to die. So when we put our faith and our trust in him. We surrender. We say, yep, that's true, we're not the master of our soul. We desire and we willingly accept the fact that we are a slave to God, a slave to righteousness, and see the blessing that God has in store, equipping you to live holy 
as God is holy, equipping you to offer the same cup of cold water to the thirsty that you have received. May that, may that be us as a church. May that be you as we strive to be obedient to his word. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your patience with us and your grace and your love and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that, that we don't run and control and dictate our own life, but you do. Help us, Lord, to come to a place of full surrender, to live in obedience, to accept you as Savior and follow you as Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.